Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Figured it's that time of the year for me to give an update on how things are going. And I wanted an opportunity to just talk about some of the stuff I've been working on post WWDC. And what are my thoughts on just working on some of these APIs hands-on as I'm working on some of these projects. So if you don't know, I've gone whole hog as far as all the WWDC stuff, except for, you know, I don't have a Vision Pro and I haven't done any Vision Pro development. So if you're looking for that, sorry, I'm not going to mention that in this episode because I just haven't had the chance. But I've installed Sonoma on my two Macs. Once, one accidentally and the other one on purpose. I bought the new MacBook Air 15 inch. I should show that to you. I just put a cover on it today. So I'm super happy about it. Without the cover, it's just an amazing piece of flat metal. I love carrying it everywhere. I love the size on it. Now that I have a cover on it, I can put stickers on it. So if you have any stickers you want to send me, please do. I'll take them. DM me after the show and I can send you my PO box or you can send it to the Bright Digit PO box which is on the Bright Digit website. So I'd love to have more stickers on this thing. So please send them to me. So uh, yeah, I've installed Sonoma and I think like the first beta was really good, but it was a misnomer because, or not a misnomer, what, what's the term I want to use? It was not the way each beta has been. Each beta has been like a roulette wheel. I feel like each one has been different and special <laughs> in its own way. And like, I've had, I had some issues, I think with the first or second beta where the computer would just crash and freeze or just slow down. And then the display would start acting wonky. And then later betas now it's been more just a a bunch of apps closing specifically. I'm talking about like, like in a row you'll get Safari and um, Xcode and Final Cut and couple other Apple apps that will just close on you out of nowhere. It's super weird. Luckily, it hasn't been so bad that I felt like, oh, man, I lost my data. Like, that's not the case at all. It's just more, you know, oh, well, I just restart it. So it isn't a big deal, really. I have installed iOS 17. Don't really notice anything as far as that. I'm sure I'm missing something. I definitely can tell my iPhone 11 Pro Max is starting to show its age. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting a new one (laughs) this fall. So we'll see about that. I really like Sonoma other than the crashing issue. I love the desktop widgets. It's awesome. I love, but that to me is the biggest thing I've noticed that I really like. But primarily I wanted to work on watchOS 10 because I was just interested. If you watched my episode with Hide, you probably, we talked extensively. If you watched my episode with Hide, you probably saw that, you know, I'm, geeked about watchOS 10 and all the cool stuff you can do. So I've been definitely playing around with that. I installed that on the cheapo scratch up watch I bought on eBay. Speaking of which, hey, so if you watch that episode, you know, I sold, I don't know if I told you this, but I sold my broken watch on eBay, the one that just didn't boot up and power down. And somebody bought it and they were actually able to replace the battery and get it working, which, you know, good for them. That's what I say. And we figured out a way to, because un- I couldn't iCloud unlock it. The way I had to do that was uh, you can do it through logging into the website and then removing it there. And then I had the person basically reset the watch. There's a way to do that using a certain button combination. And then from there, they were able, they now have a brand new watch that they bought for pretty discounted price. So good for them. And then of course, 
going back to development, a lot of Xcode 15. Like, so you can only install Xcode 15 on Sonoma. There is a way to do Xcode 14 on Sonoma if I have any work that's going to demand it, which is probably going to happen because that's the real world. But there is a way to do that. I can put it in the show notes that pretty much with every new Mac OS version, there's a way you can run the command of Xcode and a terminal will open Xcode for you. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about the Apple Watch. So I've been playing around with my the Scratch-Up Series 5 that I installed the beta on. And it's I've been... I like watchOS 10 a lot, but it definitely takes some getting used to, and it's a little bit difficult. It's a little bit difficult switching between my two watches. So I have a Series 7, a large size Series 7, and the smaller Series 5, which has the beta. So the Series 7 has watchOS 9. And it just takes... It's like... There, there's so much muscle memory in how I do things with watch o, with watchOS for the last few years that switching to watchOS 10, there's just been so many changes with what the side button does and the crown does and how apps work, etc. Um, and the and the way you bring up control centers change, all that stuff. And so that's really that's something that I have to get used to, and it's especially challenging when I'm switching between the two watches every now and then. Um. As far as app development is concerned, I really wanted to really take animations to the next level, particularly in a heart twitch. I have this cool animation I've been working on where it shows the heart rate using a graph and animations, and I want to eventually get that into the app. Heart twitch is my, I would say, ideal, like my go-to watch app that I've been working on. And as far as that's concerned, a lot of like simplification, better onboarding that I want to work on. I have a couple other apps that I'm working on as well. I'll get into some architecture ideas that I had too. I'll get into that when I talk about the other app. But there's a couple of other apps I've been working on. Specifically, I have a little app called Objective Scene where I can basically, so you can set up like activity rings essentially for different things. And you can, they can be manual stuff that you click on and tap on and say, oh, I drank this much water or it could be hooked up a health kit. Uh, it could hook up to all sorts of stats that you get on your phone. So that way you can see how close you are to getting goals using activity rings. You just customize it. It's not all based on just calories and exercise, but you can set up your own custom ones. So that's something I want to play around with and work on as well. It's my first chance at really deep diving into widgets and the dynamic island and playing around with animations and stuff like that. So those that's those are my smaller projects that, that I've been working on and playing around with as far as iOS 17 and, and watchOS 10 and things like that. So yeah, the biggest focus though has been an app I've been wanting to work on for a while that I have been working on and took some time off this year because I was busy with some, you know, other work. And that would be Bushel. So let me talk a bit about how Bushel has been going since WWDC. So I really deep dived into Bushel after WWDC. There's not a lot of like new stuff in Bushel. There's a couple of new APIs I really want to take advantage of. The You can now save the virtual machine state. And there's some updates to the UI view, or I should say AppKit view, that you use to show show the virtual machine screen, the display. But that really isn't the bulk of it. More or less, I just regret having supported Monterey, honestly. And now I'm just building from the ground up. But a lot of code is reusable, so it's not the end of the world by any means. But a lot of, I had a lot of cruft code in there. So, so for instance, we just talked about save state. I had a whole thing using NS file version for doing my own save state. And now I can like abandon that. I will only be supporting 
sorry, I'll only be supporting Sonoma with with Bushel for now because I'll probably take long enough that I'll need to. But yeah, so there's that. There's the window management stuff. There's a ton of window management stuff that they added in Ventura that I couldn't take advantage of because I was supporting Monterey. I just, I regret it so much. So like, there's just a ton of code I could rip out that I don't need anymore that I'm really happy about being able to rip that code out. So that's the background on Bushel. I'll get a little bit more into the architecture later, but I wanted to talk some about some of the new APIs that have come out from WWDC. With Bushel, I did a lot of stuff with Combine. As you may imagine, I'm a big Combine fan. And as we all know, we have the new observation framework. So I really want to take advantage of that. And honestly, I don't want to do any Combine in this app. I want it to be future-proof. Um, I, I mean, I think Combine will be around for a while, but Apple really pushed observation, so I should really be using it. And so that's what I've done. And I'm really trying to depend only on observation as much as possible. There, do I miss Combine? Am I sad that it's going away? Yeah, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of cool things you could do with reactive programming that I'm afraid we're going to lose out on. I'm wondering really about the testability of observation. I haven't gotten that far yet because I just want to get functionality working. But yeah, that's some of the stuff I've run into. This is a classic example too of like, am I, is it me? Am I crazy? Or do I just not know what I'm doing? But there's a whole observation tracking that just isn't working the way I thought it does. And I'm a little bit intimidated to actually use it because I'm not sure that it's working the way it's supposed to. So that that has me a little bit worried. Like, how am I supposed to track changes? I don't want to have everything dependent on the view doing, like, on change. I want the I want the object to take care of it itself. So I'm a little bit worried about that as far as observation is concerned. Next, I want to talk about macros. I like macros. I think they're great, but there's some really weird stuff that happens with macros. So for instance, the Sunday before Dub Dub, I don't know if I, you heard this, but I created an enum called Preview. Of course, the next day we get a macro called Preview. And I didn't know this, but I started trying to use the new API and it says I had some weird error with previews. I forgot what it was. I'll hopefully put it on here somewhere. And it ends up being that you can run into name conflicts. If you have a type with the same name as a macro, that seems like an oversight and a bug. I did file a feed uh, feedback for it. So that's really weird. There's some stuff with when I use any like Swift attributes with a macro, it throws thing off. So I tried to like deprecate something that was, oh gosh, what was it? Was it an attribute, a Swift data attribute or something? I tried to deprecate it. Or maybe it was an observation thing that I tried to deprecate and it like threw it off because it was like, it didn't know how to deal with attribute and the macro at the same time. So that's about it. I am trying very hard to avoid getting down the rabbit hole of like making my own macro. I just don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I just want to make an app that people can use and not just, you know, the thing with, I want to build a developer tool. It's like, like, oh, I can make this Swift package for me. No, 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 not going to do that. Let's just use macros as a user developer user, I guess, and not go down that rabbit hole. So, so far, so good. There's weirdness. And that, that kind of gets to my next thing I want to talk about, which is Swift data. I've been avoiding core data all these years. I've used core data professionally. So it's not like I don't know how it works or I don't like it or anything like that. I'm not that person at all. I don't want to get into SQLite if I don't need to, things like that. So 
but I also don't want to maintain an old thing. So I've been avoiding core data as much as I can, unless I need to, but I've been really deep diving into Swift data. I think Swift data is a thing I've been waiting for to use in Bushel quite a bit. So what I use it for is essentially keeping a database of every image and machine that you have. So that way you can easily like create a new machine based on a specific image file, or you can pull up a list of your machines and you don't have to go and specifically open that file, et cetera. So Swift data has been great because like when I was doing it, Bushel talked about ripping out old code. I was doing it all with user defaults and it was a mess. So I'm really happy to switch over to Swift data. Again, does it work the way it's supposed to? Is it me? I'm not totally sure. I get some weird stuff with like relationships and how with relationships, even if I do a delete, you can't set child parent as null. Karen Prater has some really great stuff. I'm going to post links to some of her articles. She's had some of the best Swift data stuff out there. That's really helped me. But yeah. Oh, that goes to another thing I've been super disappointed with. I mean, I was going so fast on that first beta. And then once they broke Swift data and Swift UI previews at the same time, that just like really slowed things down for me. <laughs> Man, I, I hope they get that fixed soon. Cause that really, that, that sucks because I will, I just enjoy going so fast. I'm building stuff and moving things along as far as using Swift data and Swift UI previews at the same time. It's been great. Before I close out on Swift data, I just want to say uh, if you're looking for an app to like debug your core data, because it's essentially still core data behind the scenes, take a look at uh, core data lab. It's a really great app. I've been using that to take a look at my data and that's been awesome. Luckily, I've been employing, if you read my recent article on micro apps, and if you watch the episode I did with uh, Majid, you probably know I'm a big fan of modularity. And so micro apps has been a way for me to break down Bushel into its into smaller pieces. What I'm doing is I am using a Swift Package Manager. Like I said, I like to put all my code in Swift Package Manager. And then I will create a, basically, like I have an app template in Xcode Gen. And then I use that template for building new apps for separate individual parts of Bushel. So for instance, I have a library app. It's not going to be posted to the app store, but it's for me to just easily be able to just test that section of the app. Then I have a machine app and then that tests just the machine part of the app and so on. And then I'm really going crazy with Swift packages and like splitting things up. Like there's separate view, there's like separate views for separate sections, sorry, separate targets for views, there's separate targets for views for machines, there's separate targets for views for libraries, there's core stuff, there's Swift data stuff in individual Swift data stuff for the different sections of the app. So I'm really trying to like break this app apart into as small of a piece as I can. So that there is, and then of course doing that, like creating dependencies in such a way that, that there's not too much like tightly coupled stuff. It's not just because in the future I might do something else with it, but it's just for easier testing, easier maintenance, things like that. That's why I'm a big fan of micro apps um, in a sense. It's a little bit more difficult on Mac OS because these apps tend to be bigger, but if you're doing iOS, it makes total sense as well. And that's really one of the big pushes I'm making with Bushel is just breaking it into smaller pieces. Hopefully maybe someday making parts of it open source. I mean, I even am creating a command line app as well. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm a big fan of this concept. I hope I'm doing it the right way. I think I am. And so far I'm loving it. I think the intercom activity, I need to figure that out a little bit better because obviously machines need to know what OS they're installing based on the image and 
things like that, but we'll get there soon. So that's, that's pretty much it. I'll put links to Bushel, of course. You can still sign up for the beta. As I get closer and closer to finalizing it, I'll extend that invite more to people who have signed up. But that's about it. If you have any questions, send me a message on Twitter or Mastodon, or you can email me. But I also post a link, or I'll post in the show notes the address to my P.O. box if you want to send me stickers. I'd appreciate that. But thank you so much for joining me for this small little episode that kind of gives you an update on what I've been playing around with. Like I said, sorry, no Vision Pro stuff. I'm sure I'll forget something that I wanted to talk about. But if you like this video, I hope you enjoy the next one with Giannis. We'll be talking about the Swift servers, the server-side Swift working group. And of course, I've got another episode coming up with Matt, who came on to talk about the extension kit, which I haven't even deep dived, but man, I'd love to with Bushel. And he'll be talking about his talk from Swift Toronto. He's, of course, of Chime. And so you can definitely check that out. And then Brandon Williams from Point Free, who's also going to be speaking at Swift Toronto, will be on the show to talk about dependency. So I'm really curious to hear his take on that. And tca of course and you can send me all those questions if you want to and the world etc so yeah definitely take a look at that and then i do have an interview planned with christian selig of the formerly apollo and currently of pixel pals so we'll have some interesting stuff to talk about there so thank you again for joining me and i look forward to talking to you again like and subscribe please and give me a review thanks everybody bye